0: Have you ever been sitting in a perfectly quiet room with other people, like a waiting room or at a funeral, and without any warning, from the deepest depths of your bowels, it erupts? Like a pod of whales communicating across great distances, your gut starts to growl and whine. You feel the button on your jeans grit its teeth and strain as your belly swells. You try to cover the sounds with a fake cough, and then suddenly your whales are answered by another pod from the opposite side of the room someone else's colon creatures are communicating back. Gut discomfort, intolerances, allergies, most of us go about our daily business thinking that the worst thing that came from that tikka masala, tiramisu and Fanta combo we ate last night was a few sea creature noises and a bit of gas. But what you might not know is that the negative effects of a bad reaction to food or a poorly functioning digestive system can contribute to a whole host of problems that you might never connect with eating. My guest today is Robbie Bennett, a coach and lifestyle manager with the Irish Strength Institute. To say that Robbie's knowledge in the gut and human digestion is comprehensive is an understatement. I'm a big proponent of learning how to help yourself from people who know how. And if you have any interest in how to design your food and eating habits in a way that's going to improve almost every aspect of your life, then you're going to love this podcast. Enjoy it, guys. Welcome to the worst self-help podcast in existence. Welcome to our shared journey to try and find the answers to questions about health, wellness, performance, nutrition, life and success, and to craft the most resilient, hardy and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Primal Podcast. We've got coach Robbie Bennett here from the ISI. Robbie, thank you very much for
1: joining me today. Yeah, cheers for having me on. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no problem at all, no problem at all. I've been looking forward to actually having a chat with you for a while. You, We've had Owen Lacey on the podcast before, yeah. so you work with Owen in, in the ISI. Um, yeah. But you obviously have a specific interest as well in a lot more than just strength and conditioning and personal training. You've a very, very... You, a very very colorful background in everything from nutrition and um, to, to, to general wellness, immunity, sleep, everything that kind of promotes wellness and can enhance the health of your your mm-hmm. clients. And would I be right enough in Yeah, that? yeah,
1: big time. Now, nutrition and kind of all sorts of nutrition, so good health, digestion, hormones, all that sort of stuff is definitely a passion of mine. So. You know, you see you see clients coming in uh, on a day to day basis and you see all these issues that, you you, you know, you maybe initially can't fix. Or you didn't expect to see. And they're, they're there looking for your help. So, yeah, it's just true. Kind of trying on there, researching that and being genuinely curious to yeah, find out more yeah. about that. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to frame this as well, because pe- people ask me this question a lot, because traditionally when people think about gym setups, because I've, I've been down in, in the ISI specifically and yep. it's, a, it's a beautiful gym and a high performance center. People think about personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches and athletic therapists and physio all as one kind of thing. You go in and you're in the gym and you're doing exercises. They, that's what they think. Yeah. Of. But from from my interactions with you and with and, and, and people in this field, it's totally different now. It's evolved into something else. So would you give me a bit of a for for people who who have that kind of thing in their head where it's a strength and conditioning coach or a personal trainer when you go into a gym? Would you give me an outline of why why you're different? What what makes what makes <laughs> yeah. this job and what you do different? Because you're you're talking about. You're talking about stuff doctors generally talk about, really, when you mention immunity and all that kind of stuff. But it's this this kind of uh, profession and field is is really, really broad and wide. Without having to be a doctor, you're now helping people the same way a doctor would with their health. So maybe give us a bit of, a bit of shape on that, I suppose.
1: Yeah, so I think, like, the environment of the ISI and, and uh, the gym and the clinic would be definitely very different than most gyms, membership gyms or commercial gyms that you'd walk into. And that's mostly because I think we would definitely, and from, you can kind of chime in on this as well from your own perspective, but we'd definitely spend a lot more time delving into nutrition and not just kind of generic, okay, diet, if it's your macros or counting calories. We're getting a, a good bit more personalized than that. We're finding out kind of everyone's bio, biochemical individuality. We're, we're doing a lot of history, you know, everything illnesses and genetics and the family and obesity and stuff like that. So I think with the ISO, we, we delve into a lot more than just protein, fats and carbs, The three macronutrients. We'll delve into a lot more. How is your blood sugar management? How is your digestion? So like chemical digestion or mechanical digestion, chewing your food. Is there any illnesses um, in your family or, you know, uh, history of heart disease or diabetes and all that stuff? Because you can you can gain a lot of information from someone's history and you can get even more information from, you know, their family. Their grandparents, their brothers and sisters and stuff like that. And I think at the ISI, like um, any clients that come to see me, <laughs> the biggest complaint on consultation one is holy crap, Robbie, that I didn't expect the screening form to be that big. It's it's like too, an much, too much information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, like for me as a coach, I'm just accumulating data from from my clients. And the more data I have, the more personalized I can make my approach. But yeah, there's there's some gyms out there that are essentially just rep counters. Yeah. And then there's other gyms that, okay, the rep counters with a bit of nutrition as well. Okay, and I think we take that a little bit further yeah, again. Yeah. yeah.
0: It, so this is more—it's more helping people achieve their goal as opposed to just go in. And because traditionally people think about gyms and it's weight loss or muscle gain. That's kind of what they're thinking yeah. about. I want to go in and lose weight or put on muscle. Um, and and you can even split that more if you want to be a bit more stereotypical. A lot of women would go into the gym and they want to lose weight, and a lot of men go into the gym and they want to put on muscle. But it's it this these kind of facilities now are different because people have different goals. Not everyone wants to yeah, put on, on muscle, not everyone wants to lose weight. Some people want to be and specifically now people want to be healthy. They want to feel. Feel good. They want to sleep better. They want to perform better and work. So I, I, I've seen I've seen the clients that you deal with that. That's what they're asking you now. So yeah, so you're you're saying the, the the forms and the the information is a lot more. But it kind of has to be now because people aren't coming in anymore saying Robbie, I want bigger biceps. Yeah, some people do. Yeah, well, and that a, might be part of the program.
1: it's almost planning, like yeah. the, the the law of attraction. So, like, the more I would read about certain things, whether it's autoimmune diseases, whether it's diabetes type 1 or type 2, or whatever it is, I find they're the clients that are coming to see me. Yeah. When, you know, the name of the gym is the Irish Strength Institute. So, initially, some people might be actually put off by that because they think we just train athletes, we just train fighters or anything like that. But, like, 95% of my clients would be general populations looking to improve their quality of health. Now, we do have them other athletes there. Yeah, but the majority of people I see are people that are looking to improve their quality of health because they've, like, they've been to gyms before. Okay. And they've done programs and they and it's not working for them. They've been to trainers.
0: Yeah. So the, yeah. the
1: clients I see are are the people that have been to the gym and not seeing success with the the recommendations or the general recommendations of okay, are you tracking your macros? Are you in a calorie deficit? And uh, you know, are you doing this amount of reps with this amount of sets with this amount of exercise, or are you doing fast or any of this? Yeah. It, yeah. The clients I see are generally the exception to the rule that need a bit more, they need a bit more um, insight so whether that is testing or it's delving deeper into our lifestyle, to what got them to the position they are now yeah. and where they need to be in the future.
0: I suppose you could look at it the other way as well. They are the exception to the rule because some people have very specific conditions. But most people now are probably in that bracket where they need a, a more individualized approach. Because yeah, like I, the, the question I was going to ask again on, on behalf of the listeners, Why, why when you go to your average gym and it's all about macros and rep counting, does that not work? It works for some people, I know, yeah. and it works for some specific goals. Uh, usually, again, building muscle or losing fat, but building muscle and losing fat and autoimmunity and nutrition and better sleep and all those things we just touched on there, there's, there's 50 different considerations with every single one of those things. So and That's complicated. and it's people It's very, very that. complicated, yeah. So yeah. The,
1: the reason, in my opinion, why I think macros and calories are so popular is because, well, there's only three main macros. It's easy to learn off. It's easy <laughs> oh, yeah, to yeah. rehearse. So um I think when you're going deeper into nutrition, it gets much more complicated, and people aren't confident answering them questions, so they stick with what they know. Okay, You know, like, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. So I think that, that's kind yeah, of what I it, like it is that one, as well. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. yeah. a good one. Um, so we were having a chat the other day there, and I mentioned to you uh gut health and the reason I mention it is it's everywhere yep. nowadays now I have an interest in it and you have an, obviously have an interest in it but of now sure. everybody has an interest in it yep. people who have no no medical background no affiliation to any sort of physical health or health profession have now an interest in the gut it's it's a pop, popular topic nowadays and um, it's it's coming out as lots of advice quote unquote advice coming yep. out um, and I made it, well, the comment I made to you was something along the lines of I was at a, a particular I was at the Troy Festival the wellness festival and there was a lot of gut Advocates there, good health, which it's I thought definitely
1: a popular topic. It's yeah. very,
0: very popular. You made a very interesting comment though that it's it's been, um, I suppose, misconstrued, or the importance of the goat in the bigger picture isn't really well understood. Is that that's kind of what you were getting at? Really, was yeah,
1: it? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Steve. Yeah,
0: yeah. So. Talk about it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, when, 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 I, I mean, a lot of people now, as I said, who, who aren't necessarily qualified in this field come to me and they talk to me about the gut because they know the, the field I work in and we're doing the podcast and I'm talking to people like yourself and they mention all the obvious things like about good health and the new one is, or oh, your good is connected to your brain and what you eat makes you feel a certain ways. And it's all valid, yeah. I suppose. But I see, I see happening with the gut, what happens with all these trends is that they forget about literally everything else that they were doing and they go, right, it's all about the gut now and they focus purely on the gut.
1: Or, okay, we've got microbes under the gut there for we to take probiotics and uh, everything's going to be fine.
0: And that is the second biggest thing I see. People yeah. spending 60, 70, 80 quid a month on probiotics and not even thinking about everything else, their diet and their sleep yeah, and, and their stress and other usually immune... That's not mode. what you should be doing. Yeah, so, and it, it reminds me of uh, all, through, all through my youth playing sport is the supplement game, like lads taking... 50 different supplements and their diets are cocoa pops and chicken fillet rolls like. but they're taking all these great supplements so, but why am I yeah, yeah. why am I performing better well, so it kind of reminds me of that situation here now that we're seeing it.
1: when you go to your doctor you get a pill for an Yeah. and all of a sudden a now you're going to your, nil, yeah. your nutrition coaches or your trainers now you're getting a green pill for an ill okay. which yeah, It's yeah. not really solving the, the root cause issue now you're yeah. just you're putting a band-aid over it and hoping for the best
0: yeah 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 okay so when it comes to good health then what's, what's your take on it what's your approach on it and um, where, where does it fit into the bigger picture for you
1: okay well, that, well that's a broad topic we've got so. time <laughs> <laughs> Where I would start with good health is when you when you think about the body, you've heard the saying before, you are what you eat. Yeah. Well, I would disagree with that statement. I would say you're not what you eat, you're what you absorb, okay. and digest, and assimilate. Yeah. So when we talk about absorption and digestion and stuff like that, I, w- I would first talk about digestion and assimilation before I start talking about the gut. Because you could have the perfect diet, you know, on pen to paper. But for you, you might not be responding well to it at all. So when we think, think about digestion, I like to think about. I'll use this analogy with my clients. We've actually got whiteboards in the gym, so I'm a very visual person. But if anyone can imagine listening, you know, your digestion. You imagine your mouth to your bum is essentially a straw. Okay. If I give you an almond or a piece of broccoli, it goes. You consume it. The broccoli is not you. It's in you, but it's not. It's not you. So you're not what you eat. So you're not what you eat. What we have to do is we have to break down that food take and draw the nutrients from that food into our body and utilize them. Um, but a lot of time now is we're not capable of digesting the food we eat and taking the nutrients from it for whatever reason that is. Like um, one thing I see, um, not to go off too off and you always pull me back in, but like we talk about protein and general recommendations of protein would be um, one gram per kilo of body weight which I think is definitely not a, a standard or an optimal form of protein. But when we think about that, people say, oh, you're, you're getting adequate protein in. But just because you're eating the protein doesn't mean you're necessarily breaking down the protein into amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein and then absorbing them. Okay. okay yeah. So when we think about digestion, we need to first think about, okay, well, there's mechanical digestion in the mouth. Okay, are you chewing your food or are you hoovering it down? That's going to impact digestion. Now we need to think about chemical digestion in the stomach. Are we producing adequate enzymes? Stomach acid and then boil and then pancreatic enzymes. And then how is then by the time you get to the gut, how how well is the gut function? In our gut, I like to imagine the gut as a picket fence. So a wooden fence with uh, w- with the fence, birds and bugs can get through that picket fence. But the fence is still there to keep intruders out of your front garden. Yeah. Big intruders, macromolecules like proteins, fats, and carbs. Don't know if you noticed, know but you know, there's we shouldn't absorb a protein, a fat, or a carbohydrate into our body
0: because they're huge.
1: Yeah, they're macromolecules. Yeah. We think about protein; they're broken down into amino acids. Yeah. We think about fats, short-chain fatty acids. We think about carbs, simple sugars. So, when let's say, for instance, we're not breaking down the food we, and all of a sudden we've got a protein, a full protein in our gut. What else is a protein? A virus. Yeah. A pathogen or a parasite. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden you got protein from whey, your protein from chicken sitting in your gut, and all of a sudden your immune system says, this is very like that virus or or pathogen or parasite that came in two weeks ago that we had to refuse and, and cause an immune response to.
0: So it's your own immune system essentially saying, okay, a lot of this food we're not actually gonna allow it through.
1: Yeah, of yeah. course. So when we think about the gut and, and going back to that pick fence analogy, Again we sh- you've heard the term leaky gut before or yeah. have you heard the term gut permeability?
0: Yeah, I think leaky gut again is one of those kind of pop- popular phrases nowadays everyone's saying leaky gut. Yeah, it's
1: a blanket term yeah. that people will use for something they don't understand. Okay. I would say yeah. because you know, you hear about IBS or leaky gut. Well, Crohn's, yeah. You know, ulcerative colitis, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, IBD, irritable bowel disease. These are all terms that like Sometimes you, well, not not Crohn's, but IBS and leaky gut are used when they don't... You've got a digestive issue, but we don't know what the hell it is. We'll just call it that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So it's a broad spectrum.
1: But when you think about that picket fence, again, you want the barrier in your gut, but there are some smaller molecules that should get through that you need. So should your gut be leaky or not? Well, actually, yeah, you want a uh, slightly leaky gut, but you don't want it too leaky that you're letting, you know, macromolecules or intruders into your garden that shouldn't be getting in there. So... There's a term called gut permeability, and that means, you know, stuff getting through that fence into your garden or not. And you want permeability, but you want selective permeability. That means you want smaller molecules getting through, but not the bigger ones. So again, we do want that barrier and there's nutrients and foods we can take to improve that. When we think about the gut, our our gut, you know, it's one cell thick. So for any listeners out there, people think, well, what the hell is one cell thick? Well, you're, your hand or your, your finger would be your skin on your finger would be around seven cells thick. So I'm sure there was a point in your life down where you you know you've got paper cut in your hand. Sorry, Many times. How easy is that to happen? Now your gut is one cell thick, so it's it's much less than that. So I, I heard a speaker talk about this, a good expert, and he said it was like imagine plucking one hair out of your head, putting on a table and getting a, a, a microscopic laser that can cut that hair in half down the middle. Yeah, down the middle. Yeah. That's how thick your gut is. So it's almost like a layer of cling film. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So easy to damage, obviously. Easy. Yeah. And the surface area here go—you've uh, probably heard this before—but it's the surface area of a tennis court. Yeah. It, so it's, it's all flattened out. So when you think about how easily irritated that could become from the eating from the frequency, from the stress of your lifestyle, whatever it is—emotional stress, physical, or whatever—but it's so sensitive. And another thing is that when we talk—we talk about the go—it's almost like snakeskin. It can turn over every five to seven days. So I have a lot of clients that would have digestive issues and say to me, "When I eat a certain food, I don't respond well, and 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 whatever." So if they eliminate that certain food, they can repair their go and possibly be more tolerable to that food later on down the line. Okay. But okay. the thing is, if I give you, let's say, for instance, gluten. Gluten's kind of a, a popular one out there right now. And do I think gluten's a, a bad food? Yeah, I w- I would say that. I'd say wheat and gluten for the majority of people we shouldn't consume. I think
0: it. I read something the other day where. Did I read it, or did someone say it to me? Where there is not one single person on the planet who was not gluten intolerant to some degree. Like no one is designed to eat gluten, so it's not exactly there's nobody who's who's perfectly comfortable with gluten.
1: Yeah, no, you are one hundred percent right. So when we talk about that good permeability again, we want selective permeability. So um, with gluten, there's a spectrum. If I give you, let's say, a, a slice of toast, and I give and I have a slice of toast, and I give someone else a slice of toast, we're all going to have a different reaction in our gut. So remember that fence analogy that I talked about. Well, if I give you a piece of gluten, it might break down the fence a tiny bit. If I give myself, it might break down the fence a little bit more. And I give someone else, it might break down the entire fence. So an analogy I use with my clients is um, doors. So um, the degree of permeability is based on your genetics. That's just your genetic roll of the dice. So again, if you eat a slice of toast and you have no physical response that you're aware of, you still have an immune response in the body. You might open like a cat door. Yeah. For someone else, they open you know, a regular door, and for someone else, they open a whole shutter. And the people that open the shutters are generally celiacs, um, anyone with an non-immune condition. Okay. But you're, you're deadly correct. Not one human being on the planet um, can fully digest gluten, and every human being on the planet has a response or a, a, an increase in a protein called zonulin in the presence of gluten. So I'll say that again, 100% of the population... Have an increase in a protein called zonulin after the presence of gluten. Okay. So, have you heard what zonulin? Yeah, before? I've heard of it before. Yeah. yeah and yeah. again, essentially, that just opens the tight junctions. It yeah. opens that door. So, okay. yeah, that that's a big one. People don't understand that.
0: Okay. And with with you've given a, a great description there of the actual good itself. Where does the 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 microbiome and the bacteria? This is I think this is where people really get hung up nowadays, and where the probiotics and stuff like that come in, because obviously you're aware and I'm aware, and some people will be aware that. Many, many things can knock down the fence that you're talking about nowadays, yeah. specifically nowadays because our diet is so bad and the quality of the food is poor and we're mm-hmm. under massive stress. And you've also sorts of put a negative inputs like alcohol and drugs and things like that as well. Well, we're not,
1: we're not essentially growing food right now for the nutrient quality. We're going for speed it's to get ourselves. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's like ma- mass production essentially. Exactly. Yeah. So, so all, of the, all of that kind of stuff can obviously damage the, this, this gut lining um, and this fen- knock down this fence. Where does the bacteria come in? Where does the microbiome come in? What, does does that have a, a, a link role to
1: play with the gut lining? Yeah, so first off, what I'd say is, anything that I'm mentioning, there's a reference out there for it. Like, yeah. um, I'm, um you know, a big proponent of actually researching this stuff and actually finding a reference for it and making sure it actually is real science and, you know, it's not just pulling it from anywhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm going to hold you to that now. I'm going yeah, to all yeah, your yeah, links yeah, yeah. in,
0: the, in the, the show notes for the podcast afterwards.
1: Yeah, so when we think about the gut, well, we first need to look at, our, let's say, our, our genes. So... Um, if I said to you, Dan, what has more genes? A grape, a dog, or a human? You'd automatically you think a human. Yeah, you would. Yeah. But actually, a grape has around 99,000 genes. A dog has around 20, 16, 25,000. And a human has around 2,250, I think it is. It's mad, isn't it? So why does a grape have more genes than a human? It doesn't seem correct at all because we're much more complex, you yeah. would think, you know? Yeah. But, well, some yeah, would say. <laughs> yeah, some would <laughs> say. But the reason is because our bacterial cells in our gut, outweigh our human cells 10 to 1. Our, oh, ge- okay. our bacterial genes, sorry. So essentially, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're more bacteria than you are human. Don't want to be offended by yeah, that. Yeah, 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 I know, <laughs> right? So um, we definitely have a symbiotic relationship between our microbes and ourselves. So for anyone out there that doesn't know kind of what symbiosis would be, it would be kind of living in a harmony with you know, your own body and the bacteria in your body. Because we don't want to be sterile. We've got bacteria in our skin. In our eyes, in our nasal passage, in our mouth, in our gut, we we want bugs, but we want good bugs. And the analogy I use with my clients is, um, and I work in Malahide, so Malahide is a small village in Dublin, and I use the analogy of in Malahide, there's good people in Malahide and there's bad people in Malahide, but we, we need that to have the village functioning correctly. Yeah. Now, if all of a sudden if I take out all the good people, and all of a sudden we've got people robbing and stealing and doing bad things. Now, all of a sudden, we've got dysbiosis. We've got a bad proportion of bad to good people in my right now. It's we don't, yeah. Yeah, we don't want that. That's called dysbiosis. So we want to have balance there. And the thing is, um, there are, like if there's one or two bad people there, we might be able to tolerate them. But if all of a sudden, all the, the guards and the, all the good people leave. Now the bad people can going to do what they want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can wreak havoc. Okay. And cause issues in the gut, digestive issues, bloating, gas, skin issues, and histamine reactions, even potentially, you know, autoimmune issues as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what about the other way around? If all the bad leave and we only have a good, surely that's a good thing.
1: Well, the thing is, you know, we uh, what is what is a good bacteria or a bad bacteria? It depends on the individual. So if I checked your gut and I checked my gut, they're going to be entirely different. Now, if we start spending more time together, yeah. now all of a sudden our guts would look a bit more similar. Okay. Now, if all of a sudden you go on a vegan diet or a carnivore diet, and your diet's gonna, oh, now your gut's gonna change again. Yeah. So you're, it'll. The problem I have with still testing or bacterial testing is it's very, it will fluctuate quite a bit. If you're traveling or you you change your diet, it'll change very very quickly.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So when you see people out there doing all these tests and looking at the bacteria, yes, they do have their their place, but you need to be careful of that as well because your 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 gut will change very rapidly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get you, yeah. Okay, so that's a great explanation, by the way. Um, A a lot of people, most people, I would say, listening to podcasts like this, there's a percentage of people who are very well-educated and do high-performers and are involved in this field. So this is interesting for those people as well. Most people who listen, they've heard, not particularly that well-detailed before, but they've heard some version of that explanation before. You've got bacteria in your tummy, and it helps you break down your food, and if you've got bad bacteria, (laughs) you're going to get sick and stuff like that. Um, And most people will have some idea that the lining of their, now, gut, to most people, they just think their stomach, but it's actually not their stomach that, that we're talking about here, but most people will think that, um oh, they'll, they'll have heard that before, but they, it, it doesn't really make it relevant to them. It's not applicable for them. Because it's not relatable. Because it's not relatable. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe what we can do is get a little bit deeper into the, not so much the symptoms, but make this relatable for people because I know a lot of people experience bloating. I know a lot of people experience discomfort. A lot of people experience autoimmune issues specifically related to food, but they might not link all those things together. A lot of people go through their day-to-day maybe feeling uncomfortable and having this bloating and stuff like that, but they just think that's normal for them. And it's not actually normal. That's a reaction that their body's having to to, to some sort of food. And so when you have a client come into you and it, they're, they're raw, they're a blank page, so they don't know anything about the gut, don't yep. know about that. And they would, you, you probably ask them, how do you feel? Ah, you're not pretty good. And then you dig a little bit deeper, and you say, well, how do you feel after you'd feel? Do you know what? A little bit of an energy slump, and tummy blows up. Ah, it's fine, though. Sometimes and you, you dig a little bit deeper. And That's not them. normal. That's not normal, yeah. How often do you go to the bathroom? Ah, it's regular enough. And, well, what's regular? Four or five days ago, I think, it was the last time. Yeah. And then you, the deeper you go, and this is almost everybody, I would say, once you start asking questions, they realize, actually, do you know what? It there is a lot going on, yeah. but I just thought that was normal. Is that kind of f- fair to say that you see a lot of that coming into your
1: clinic? Yeah, because people that really aren't picking up on the symptoms. So when, when I have a client come in, uh, like, uh, I don't see anyone without first them filling out a questionnaire and come to see me. But like uh, when I see a client, I'll examine their skin, their hair, their nails. So I'm, I'm looking out for any skin issues. I'm looking out for dry skin. I'm looking out for if they've got any cirrhosis or skin issues there. I'm looking out for skin tags, creases on the back of the neck. Because... If, if, before I even ask my client the question, I'm already doing some assessments there that can give me information about them for the route I'm going to take from diet, from nutritional, from lifestyle um, direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. Does your doctor not test for this stuff? Your GP. If you go in for your GP, because as I said, most people don't think they're they're not ill. Most people think they're perfectly fine when they have these good issues. Does your doctor test for this stuff?
1: That's an interesting one. So my perspective on this, I might um, it might be similar, or you might disagree. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I got to be good with this <laughs> one. Yeah. But majority of doctors out there are dealing with a sick population. Yeah. So, and they're dealing with someone that they need to treat immediately, and then they, they need to get resolution quickly. But the clients that I'm seeing are people that are chronically low uh, low energy, poor health, but they're not that bad that they need to really see, you know, go to a hospital visit or that would be that bad. But I'd also say, when your, your doctor, okay, well, what do most doctors do when you come in? They'll, they'll run a CBC, which is a comprehensive blood count. They're gonna look at your blood cell and they'll look at general markers your red blood cells, your white blood cells, so to see if your immune system is on alert or whatnot, but they're not looking at specific markers. So they can go, oh, you have an infection. Here's an antibiotic, and we'll try and get rid of that infection. But they're not going any deeper than that. What do you have the infection? And um, Do you have, a let's say, nutritional deficiencies of vitamin D, vitamin A, zinc, slime, that are really important for your immune system so to stop it from happening in the first place? Yeah. Or, oh, do you have a leaky gut? And now the fence is broken down, so that's why you're more susceptible to infection and all these issues. But no, we're just going to give you this script. See you in two weeks. If you're not any better, we'll give you another script.
0: Okay, yeah. So yeah. they're not
1: really asking really much questions. They're not getting to the root cause. They're just treating that symptom at that point in time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for most of us, if, if, we, if we never come and see someone like you and this is not picked up and we, we live our lives with this kind of discomfort or bloating or autoimmune issues... Does it get worse? Can it progress to a level where we're actually sick? Does it contribute to other diseases and illnesses? Like, is this, is this a problem where... Uh, of course. Yeah.
1: Of course. So okay. there's always a spectrum. And I'll kind of use the same spectrum that I use with nutrients. So there's obviously, when we talk about nutrients, there's optimal status of nutrients. Then there's suboptimal. Yeah. Then there's, okay, insufficient. And then there's deficient.
0: This is in terms of the person themselves, not the food they're eating necessarily. So. Yeah. Let's,
1: let's use vitamin D, for example. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you go get your vitamin, and I'm going off on tangents as oh, well, so I'm really back in. But eh? we, we talk about vitamin D. There can be an optimal level of vitamin D, a suboptimal level, then an s- insufficient level, and a deficient level. Okay. And Based on them levels, we'll correlate that individual with certain symptoms. So if you've got someone that's, let's say, deficient in vitamin D from the age of 10, and they never checked their vitamin D, and then they're they've got their poor energy in school. They might get colds and more, more settled that in flu season. And then all of a sudden, when they're 20s, they're getting skinny issues. And then they are to get starting to blow. And then they start to work out, but they can't tolerate much foods. And then they're 30s. Okay, now their thyroid is shut down because it's got um, hypothyroid because it's an autoimmune condition. So yes, there's that there's that progressive, progressive inflammatory condition. So you need to kind of you know treat the root cause and nip it in the bud before it gets worse
0: yeah, yeah that's yeah. very interesting actually because that, that for me I can see almost 10 people I know who fit that category perfectly yeah. like it wasn't a big issue when they were younger there was a couple no. of little symptoms
1: H- how many clients do you do you hear that say to him? oh in my 20s it was really easy to keep the weight off once I hit my 30s I couldn't do it anymore but my diet's the same
0: my metabolism slowed yeah. down well, is maybe the, maybe is, you were yeah, so answer.
1: abusive to your body your body you genetically you could get away with it for only so long and your body said you know what screw this I'm done
0: yeah yeah okay like yeah. you know
1: so that's what I see a lot of the time is people just put the pedal to the metal and redline it and think they can get away with it with terrible diets, terrible training, terrible lifestyles. And eventually something breaks and go, well, I could do
0: this in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about this before, actually, with uh, with uh, like cell senescence and cell, cell turnover and stuff like that. And you're literally burning the wick at both ends. But it's very yep. interesting to hear from a nutritional point of view as well, because your digestive system is another system in your body that plays... I would argue with the top one or two most important roles in the body, like what what you put in dictates a huge percentage of your your health. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and and it's it is very interesting to hear that. You would imagine when people think about redlining it when you're younger, and getting away with it, it's partying hard and, and and drinking lots, but it's also eating bad foods and not taking care of yourself, probably not recovering the right way, and not hydrating well, not getting sleep, and not being mindful enough. All this stuff catches up with you much much quicker. It used to be uh, you, you could get away with it for longer because. I suppose 30, 40 years ago, maybe there was different problems, but maybe the quality of food was a little bit better because it wasn't so much mass-produced. You were buying local produce. There's a little bit more actual organic stuff going on there. And the stress levels were a little bit lower. So the the pace of life and the type of food we eat is is different now than it was 20, 30 years ago. And you
1: mentioned stress there as well. Well, like You look at humans as a population. We're not designed to deal with chronic low-grade sustained stress. We're designed to deal with a uh, huge cortisol or surge or stress response and then the stress is gone.
0: Yeah. Let's get into this actually, not, not because, because it links nicely with nutrition. Mindful, what was the word I heard? Sympathetic eating and mindful eating are, are two things that they sound kind of a little bit airy-fairy to some people, but I really like, and you, you'll probably give us another nice explanation on this here now, being in a position where your body is able to digest your food, I think is very, very important. Because yeah. you mentioned there at the start, a lot of people put the food in but it's not getting digested. One reason could be enzymes or defenses and working or, or something like that. But another reason is your body is in a state of arousal. You're stressed or you're under pressure or you're underslept. The machine is not going to work well. Like if you, if, you have, if you have your car and you're redlining it all the time the components are going to break down. It's not going to be efficient anymore. You're going to be blowing you're going to be blowing all sorts of seals and it's not going to work the way it's supposed to work. So you can't affect it to be as expect it to be as efficient as it usually is. It's the same with the body.
1: Yeah. So you you familiar with what your mitochondria? Is? Yeah. So people say it's a powerhouse or factory. You learned this in your biology. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. so let's think about your body as a factory. Yeah. And in that factory, and this is a gross simplification, but <laughs> but um I use this with some of my clients. So in that factory, you've got different conveyor belts. And we've got one conveyor belt just titled protein. And we've got another one, fats, carbs, and then, okay, you know, we can burn alcohol as energy, but let's not even bother. No, 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 no. That, Don't yeah, say yeah, that. I have like, to cut that out now. Yeah, <laughs> Don't yeah, tell yeah, people yeah. that. But when you, th- you think about that, n- now you know it has all cogs and wheels, and that conveyor belt needs to work and function correctly. And at the end of that conveyor belt, it's just a furnace. And there's just boxes on the three conveyor belts, the protein, the fat, and the carb conveyor belt, and the boxes are just gone into that just furnace. Just knob them into the furnace. Yeah, and that's energy, essentially. But what can happen is, One conveyor belt might rust and wear down a little bit faster. And that carbohydrate conveyor belt can rust and wear down faster. So you need to replace the cogs and the wheels and stuff like that. And to replace the cogs and the wheels, we need coenzymes or cofactors. So you think about magnesium, zinc, B12, B9, B6, vitamin C, and just a host of different micronutrients that you need. But if people are just eating, you know, eating poor diets and not getting in those micronutrients, that factory in the cell is going to produce less energy, and it's not going to be efficient at making the energy as well. Yeah. And we think about protein, fats, and carbs. Like your body doesn't really want to break down protein and make it into energy. Protein is like a really expensive thing to come into the body, and it's a luxury. We don't have to want to have to break that down into you know an energy source. You want to rather store it or use it for immune system or hormone production or something else down the line. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So to apply that then to to, to the human factory, what, what, what do people do if, if they have redlined, as you say, and they are in this state where the factory is not working so well or wanted to conveyor about to slow down? What, what are practical things that, that that people can actually do to reverse that process or to, to at least slow it down, I suppose, if, if it's not reversible?
1: Yeah, so what I would start by saying is there's no known condition illness that doesn't have a nutritional or dietary component to it. Nothing. Any illness or sickness out there has has a nutrition or a dietary component to yeah, it.
0: That's interesting, yeah.
1: So that, that when you say that, yeah, that's very powerful. Yeah. That gives a lot of empowerment because that means, okay, if you're ill or you're sick, you've got poor energy out there. Just stuff you can do within your lifestyle, within your diet, you know, your nutrition, that can have an impact on that. Okay. So w- what I want to do is kind of rewind a little bit. Yeah. Because rather than give out broad recommendations, what I'd say is the healthiest food for me could be the, the you know the slowest poison for you okay so you've heard the term uh, food allergies before let's say yeah okay so when we think about food allergies and ins- sensitivities and intolerances those words are thrown out all the time but people kind of don't really understand what the differences are so when we think about them a food allergy traditionally would be something that is an immediate immune response to the body. Traditionally, you would think about a food allergy as a shellfish allergy, a peanut allergy, or something like that. You're swelling up the airways, or are closing, and are struggling. Immediately, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And it'd be quite severe, and uh, around 3 to 5% of the population would have that. And that's actually increasing as well. It's um, actually a big number. Yeah.
0: think about it 5%, yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, we think about food sensitivities, which I, I think is an improper name for it. It should be pro- potentially be called food allergy, but um, more sustained or um, a delayed food allergy. Okay. A delayed food allergy is something that can happen immediately after a food or up to 72 hours after a food. So it's much harder to kind of find out what your food triggers are. Because if you had a glass of milk today, and then all of a sudden you get a flare-up on, you know, three days you from don't now. don't
0: necessarily link those two things yeah, together. It's yeah, it's difficult
1: to do. So when we think about food allergies, they can affect any tissue or gland in the body. Any tissue or gland. Okay. So all of a sudden you've got brain fog. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell is this from? Yeah. Or um, you, you've got anxiety or mood issues, and how many people do you see with that?
0: That's, it's, I'm delighted you brought that up, because again, that's, that's kind of, it's, it's a, a kind of a more modern, publicly the public are more aware of this, I suppose, in modern times, that, that the food that you eat can actually affect how you feel, the decisions that you make, how yeah. you perform and work and stuff like that. Not just because you're, you're brain fog or you're tired, but it can actually change the way you think about things. It can change the way your brain operates. 100%, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is when you think about it, it's scary. You think about people who have anxiety, depression, which is loads of people nowadays, or just day to day, their mood isn't good and they're upset about things and um, life is very, very difficult inside their own heads. A lot of that could be coming from the food that they're eating, and they don't even uh, know it.
1: And I, I see this all the time. People are coming to me, and they're on all these sorts of medications. And you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a doctor, so I can't go anywhere near that. But yeah. I'm thinking, Jesus, like, did, did your doctor even talk to you about nutrition, or like, oh know, like, a, and this person is, let's say, drinking, smoking, eating takeaways three times a week, and they're and they're taking this pill for now, and hoping that it's going to change their whole entire life.
0: I mean, if, if you think about it, like, if someone's taking an, an antidepressant right. Right. or something like that, it's obviously a mood stabilizer. This is what they call it, but the mood is being. Upset by something else. So if you haven't dealt with the actual cause, the real the real cause. cause how are you going to manage the symptom? You can, ma- okay, let me put it this way you can manage the symptom. And if you can't see the video, I'm doing the air quotes. Yeah. You, can, you can manage the symptom, but you're never going to ever. Deal with the actual issue.
1: You're essentially not treating that patient. You're not you're, treating
0: you're... the patient, yeah. And and then a, a lot of these people then are told that they have uh, they, they have behavioural issues then. Yeah. But in my opinion, those behavioural issues come from dealing with daily anxiety and stress. You have to you have to protect yourself from that. So you come up with behaviours. There might be antisocial behaviours. There might be self-destructive behaviours. But it's coming from your food. And I've always I've always uh loved talking to people like you about this. Who have real Actionable information because a lot of people are starting to know this now. They know the basics. They know what I eat affects how I, but they don't really understand why, and they don't understand how to change it. Because just what you've said there, you could have a delayed reaction. You could have eaten something two days ago, and if you ask if you ask me to do it, and I'm interested in this stuff to track my food and see how I'm see how I feel afterwards, I'm, I'm going to go oh, the effort of that because now I'm going to have to think did the steak I ate two days ago? Is that making me feel tired today? And I'm just not... It's just and then
1: there's some people that go, that maybe it did. Maybe yeah, it and didn't. then there's people go, everything I yeah, ate. And yeah, yeah. It's so it's hard a, to gauge It's very, well. very
0: difficult. But as I said, that's why I love talking to people like you because there's, there's real information here. There's real science here. There's real... Uh, there's an ability here to learn how to totally improve your, this sounds grandiose, but improve your whole entire life. Because realistically, your life is how you feel inside your head, I suppose. And you can improve all of that by making small changes like what you eat, for example. Um, and we've, we've talked about other things like obviously sleep and meditation and things and purposefulness in life. But it's very hard to do any of that stuff if you just feel crap all the time, yeah. if you have no energy, if you're sluggish all day long. Like I made a couple of changes. I mentioned that in the podcast for uh, a couple of years ago. Very, very small changes to my diet. A little bit of intermittent fasting. Yeah. I cut out a bit of the sugar. I don't drink anyway, but if I had a drink on the weekend, I'd really prep coming up and afterwards. To, it totally transformed my outlook on life. Uh, it, it, the way I looked, I woke up in the morning, I had more energy, I had a better mood. and it wasn't, Everything
1: is better. Everything's better. Just because you've improved yeah. your food. And I
0: didn't just decide I'm going to feel better. It wasn't just like, Positive reinforcement for me. I actually changed the field that was going in, and like again, I say this all the time. I am far from where I need to be. Like I'm not perfect, but I saw the effect that little change gave me. I saw. I saw the light. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I
1: see that my clients all the time because like I see them and they're they're really you know in a state of stress and they're suffering. And I know if I can get them compliant with their diet for you know a period of time, they're gonna feel amazing. Mm-hmm. And I know once they feel amazing, they'll stick with it. But it's getting them out of that hump as well. Yeah. So yeah. When we talk about them food sensitivities. Like there are general recommendations I can give for the most common food sensitivities I would see Okay. and again this might not be for you know every listener but for some people out there yeah it's it's very common so number one kind of food sensitivity or delayed allergy that I see is wheat or gluten gluten yeah gluten essentially like in my opinion like I'm not saying you should be gluten free for the rest of your life because that's not really practical and it's not going to happen but for the vast majority of people they should minimize the amount of gluten they consume okay now and that that means okay if it's your son or daughter's birthday or it's a wedding, have the slice of cake, whatever, go for it. Yeah. But if it's a Tuesday, even, and you're you're going to a coffee shop for a coffee, and you want to get a scone with it, well, maybe that's not the best idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know,
1: but with with gluten, that that's a huge one. Okay. That will definitely cause an immune response. Yeah.
0: Okay? Just, just sorry, just before you go I don't want to interrupt you when you're on your flow here now. But just on on something like that, if you have, if you have a a, a, a gluten, well, we all have gluten tolerance. We've kind of we've established yeah, yeah, that. But if you have spectrum. if you have that slice of cake once a week. Some people would argue that um, you're undoing all the good work that you've done. But realistically, even if you don't have a slice of cake ever, if you have a small bit of gluten regularly every single day, that's much, much worse for you than having one slice of cake on the weekend. And also, there's a psychological aspect that goes along with all this as well. There's a difficult thing to do. You can't enjoy that slice of cake if you're having it every day because you feel guilty every time you eat it. Exactly. Uh,
1: So I I hate the term anything in moderation, but some things shouldn't be consumed in moderation. Yeah. But, you know, okay, we think about that. Well, nutritionally, that's a chemical stress to the body. Yeah. But then socially, it's not. So there's always spectrums to it as well. Yeah. So you need to look there's at trade-offs, um, yeah. in context as well. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, that's kind of my, my perspective on that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it
0: makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah. So carry on. you, yeah, you so, number two.
1: So uh, number two will be dairy. Okay. So dairy's actually a oh, massive. I'm going to fight yeah, about yeah, this yeah.
0: and I love my dairy.
1: Okay, so <laughs> when we think about yeah, dairy, well, okay, lactose, okay, or the sugar in it, and we haven't even talked about intolerances yet, but when we talk about dairy, um, most people lose the ability to break down lactose as we age. Okay. But 100% of humans can break down the exoskeleton of insects as we age. So you think about protein in the future. Yeah, I think, I where's think, it going? Yeah. I think whey protein is gonna kind of fade out and there's gonna be much more insect protein. protein. The yeah. reason we don't see it as much right now is because it tastes with crap. Yeah. So once we <laughs> yeah. can get the flavor right, <laughs> yeah, we'll be, all be all over a it. lot more popular. Okay.
0: So so you're saying that because the, the, the old adage is with 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 uh, with milk is milk is for babies. So cow milk is for baby cows, and human milk is for baby humans, and you shouldn't be drinking them when you're older. Is that that's kind of there's truth truth to that?
1: With cow's milk? Yeah. Definitely. I, um, <sighs> okay. If we if we delve into it, okay. Well, we think about protein again. Protein is essentially a bunch of amino acids in a certain sequence. So I like to think about it as people's names. Yeah. The letters are in a different order. So my name is in a different order than your name. And sometimes we might have a letter that's, that's in both of our names and that might be the same amino acid. But we, when we drink cow's milk, when we drink cow's milk, that amino acid sequence can sometimes cause a reaction to our body. And and it can cause actually a histamine reaction or, or, or a, an issue to our body. Now saying that, there's actually certain strains of cows out there that are different kind of um, amino acid sequences. So if anyone wants to Google A2 milk, the protein in that milk is in actually a different sequence than cattle that are A1 genotype. Really? So if you've got someone that's got um, a dairy issue and reacts to dairy and you give them A2 milk, they might not actually have a response to
0: it, which you're technically saying everyone everyone has some sort of like gluten. Everyone, when they're older, has some sort of um, reaction to milk. A no. lot
1: of population, yeah, yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be a, as significant as gluten, but when we think about that as well, well I'm, I'm jumping around as well because intolerances are different to allergies. Yeah. Intolerances, you're lacking the enzyme to break down a food.
0: Okay, so an allergy is going to cause a reaction, an
1: immune reaction, an
0: immune reaction, and an, an intolerance, intolerance means like you can't actually break break that it down. down. Okay,
1: yeah, exactly. So dairy would be a big one as well. When we think about dairy and we look at the um, the structure of cow's milk compared, compared to human milk. It's very, very different. But for some people that don't tolerate cow milk, they can actually tolerate goat or sheep milk because the um, amino acid profile is very similar to human oh, milk. Okay, very So, right. you've probably heard that before. Yeah,
0: I did, yeah. Um, and what about, say, you now, s- s- not a socially acceptable suggestion, but yeah, 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 if yeah, you're yeah. in your 30s and you want to drink human milk.
1: Yeah, it, no. it's, it's I don't think I'd suggest <laughs> that, but a mentor of mine will say the best protein source or the best food on the planet, breast milk.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah great n- proteins, great protein, fat, yeah. and
1: carbohydrate profile, and, and nicely packed. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so, te- But technically you could, it would cause less of a reaction th- yeah. than, than something like cow's milk. 100%. Okay,
1: yeah. And um, what can happen as well is you might not have an issue with gluten, or a- as big of a reaction with gluten. But all of a sudden if you have gluten and dairy together. Yeah. Then you've got something called molecular mimicry, where that combination of foods you have an issue with. Okay. That's when it gets even <laughs> it gets more back, gets complex. Yeah, better, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's sometimes it can be very, very hard to detect any sort of food allergies as well there. Okay. But that, that'd be two on the list. Number three on the list would be um, soy. Soy is a huge one. Soy is a food that, I, for the vast majority of the population, I wouldn't recommend people have. Really? I mean, yeah. I'm not a big fan of soy. I wouldn't really go near. Because for, for
0: years, this was the healthy alternative yeah, to yeah, yeah. everything. Oh, you don't eat me? Soy. Oh, you don't eat dairy? Soy. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're. I've heard, I have heard a lot of, uh, of, of hormonal kind of effects of, of too much soy, like it upsets the estrogen balance and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so there's these things called xenoestrogens, which would be foreign estrogens in our environment. And there's something called phytoestrogens, which would be, yeah. you know estrogens from plants, plants and stuff so like yeah. that. And the reason why estrogens are sometimes there is they're there as a defense mechanism because a, a plant can't bite you if you try and eat it. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it has chemicals Or it's got like phytic acid and um, lectins in it to kind of inhibit the absorption. So uh, okay. yeah, so when we think about soy. There's there can be sometimes a lot of fungus and mold on it, and then. And we think about the, it has a, a much more of a phytoestrogen profile than most vegetables and stuff like that. So that's, that's a big issue there. Yeah, but also, it's, um, it's highly allergenic. A lot of people that will, that will be test for it. it comes up a lot of the time. Wow. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. And you, you would kind of get your typical symptoms, bloating and discomfort and maybe yeah, allergic so, reactions and stuff so like uh, that. So, yeah,
1: we go through symptoms. It could be bloating. It could be brain fog. It could be skin issues. It could be joint pain. It could be uh, fungal overgrowth. Wow. Um, yeah, mood issues, depression, anxiety, heart palpitations. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. That's crazy.
0: So yeah, And obviously with soy sauce, it has a high sodium content as well. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: okay. And then we move on to get a bit more. Corn.
0: Yeah, we have heard corn before, right, yeah.
1: Um, peanuts. Yeah. Peanut butter or something like that. And you think about, you ever heard the term aflatoxin? People talk about that. But, well, moulds and stuff like that. But peanuts would be a huge one as well. Okay. And then, actually, this one's going to surprise you, but eggs. Do you know what I have heard? I've, I've, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I've mostly heard
0: about eggs is that people—it's almost like an intolerance. People don't have the the enzyme to break down the protein in eggs.
1: Sometimes egg. that—well, here's the issue: if people have lack of digestibility, is it that the egg that they're—they uh,
0: yeah. have an issue, or is yeah, it fair. that the
1: digestion sucks? Yeah. So if I, if I've got a client that has poor um, digestibility and they've got leaky gut, we talked about that fence, that fence is broken down. Yeah. If they have a blueberry and then they've an egg, they're going to react to both of them because the barrier isn't up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you're going to have okay. a reaction to everything. Yeah. So, if we fix that fence, sometimes we can actually reduce the severity of that food in that person. Okay. But then, this is a really important thing. If you eat the same food over and over and you're a creature of habit, you will eventually and inevitably have a food allergy to that food. Really? Yeah. Now, a delayed food allergy, not an IgE, which is like you go into anaphylaxis, yeah, it's yeah. delayed and it's less life threatening, but you're still going to have a reaction to it.
0: Hi, guys. Just a little break from the show to remind you that today's guest is coach and lifestyle manager Robbie Bennett. And today we're discussing all things gut and digestion and how to make good decisions and changes with your eating habits. If you'd like to learn more about anything we covered in this episode, you can get in touch with the team at podcast at primal.ie. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at primalpro, P-R-Y-M-A-L-P-R-O. And everything we mentioned will be available in the show notes over at www.primal.ie forward slash Robbie Bennett, R-O-B-B-I-E-B-E-N-N-E-T-T. Where I've heard this actually before, I heard that one before was with bodybuilders and yeah, chicken what, and what else whey protein whey protein chicken and whey protein yeah. because they're just pounding it for yeah. years, and years and years and then, very, they, then they become intolerant with it. They, they get a, and the big one I heard was gas and bloating and stuff like that they, yeah. um, and then mood issues and depression and anxiety and a lot of people were putting it you know, obviously there's, there's other considerations there people were putting it down to just steroid abuse and, and yeah, hormone yeah. issues but there was a huge part of food intolerance there as well how many
1: times the day are they drinking whey protein shakes and trying to get in the protein you know Yeah. and here, here's the thing whenever in nature do you see a protein without fat do you ever well, unless it's a virus. Yeah. Pathogen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's everywhere well, right now with the corona. But yeah, but a virus is a protein yeah. by itself. So when we drink whey protein, we've taken the fat out of it, majority of it. So what, why is fat in protein? Why is fat in food? Okay. Because it delays um, or slows down digestion enough to break down your protein into amino acids.
0: Okay. That's very interesting,
1: yeah. So we think about our skim milk or our (laughs) low-fat milk. (laughs) Maybe whole milk is actually a lot less allergenic than the skim milk.
0: Yeah. Actually, that's a a really interesting one because uh, I think... There's a lot of people there's when when they're going when they're initiating their health journey and they're they're kind of self self administering different kind of right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this maybe I'm gonna eat a little bit less little bit red meat or I'm gonna go low fat. The first yeah. one I always see is low fat milk. Everyone uh, there's low fat milk every every yeah. office you go into has low fat milk because they don't want to upset anybody. Oh, You can't have the the full fat milk and uh, and I've never properly research this because you're you're going to you're going to give me the good info okay, on it yeah, now yeah. but, but I, I would have simply assumed that when you create there's no such thing as low fat milk right? we create low fat milk milk is milk milk yeah, is high fat you can't get yeah, off there's, no the low fat curls, there's no low fat she, calc, No, no, no. no there's, there's no low fat milk so milk is milk so we're obviously removing part of that milk now I know when you take the fat out of anything it tastes brutal so for taste yeah one so one for taste they're taking that out and it tastes brutal and they have to put something back in because low fat milk doesn't taste bad so something has to be in it they have to put something in that okay. to make it taste good. So,
1: yeah, an un- unpopular opinion as well. We think about raw milk. Now, I'm not going to promote raw milk. Oh, you th- man. But you think about it, it, is, so it is a health food. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, I remember I, used to, I had a, a person like you get raw goat's milk from and, we about, you know, it's better. I mean, profile. Yeah. It tastes amazing. But when we think about milk as well. Well, it has to go through homogenization yeah. and pasteurization. pasteurization and then we're, yeah. So essentially, we're taking the fat out of it. Yeah. And when we take the fat out of it, what else are we taking out with it? The fat, soluble nutrients. Yeah. Vitamins D. Yeah. Okay. So we've taken all the goodness out of it. And the efficacy of the protein now because you're, you've explained that. And we ruin the protein as well. Yeah, yeah. And what do we do? We have skim milk or soup milk. So we take all the goodness out of it and then we fortify it with the nutrients we just took out of it.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the time those nutrients might not necessarily be bioavailable. Yeah. In their usable they're, they're forms. They're synthetic. Yeah.
1: Like, majority of the time nature has done it better. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of any of them milks. And like a lot of time, like clients are, they're really. And I'm not knocking calories because calories do matter. Yeah. But a couple of other factors that I've mentioned so far also matter yeah, that I'm not yeah. taking into consideration. Calories do matter. But a lot of times I see people on very low calorie diets and they won't touch a fat. But their status of health is very, very poor. Yeah. So if you ever come down to the ISI, like we, like if we're drinking coffee or anything like that, I, I won't really actually consume dairy unless it's butter or cream. Now you think, why would that be? Well, I told you, you can't have an allergy to a fat. You can only kind of an allergy or a you know delayed allergy to the protein in it. Okay. So we look at butter; it's 99% fat. Yeah. There's a little, tiny bit of protein and like minimum amounts of lactose in it. So even someone that has a lactose issue might be able to tolerate it. So, and that's why sometimes when people I go have clients go dairy free, I still have them have a little bit of butter or cream.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's it much more sense. tolerable. Yeah. It was always a pet peeve of mine as well, the low fat thing, because I used to hear. Like we, won't, we won't get into cholesterol and stuff like that. But <laughs> that's a, for another day. That's for another day, yeah. Because uh, we, we still have a lot more to touch on now in this conversation. But you you're often hear to recommend the general recommendations from your doctor if you go in with high cholesterol uh, to go low fat. And by low fat they mean flora and low fat milk. And you have your flora on your yeah. on your, your scone with your jam and you have your low fat milk <laughs> when you're having your bit of cake with your tea in the evenings like that. It's totally, totally the opposite of what we actually should be doing. But it was yeah. always a pet peeve of mine, and I always used to be a big proponent of a natural food. So fatty steaks and stuff like that now. I know there's there's but other people. But, but actually, there.
1: here's one for you, Dan. How many clients or patients have you seen in the practice that have had really, really high cholesterol? But they how many eat fat? They don't eat fat. Yeah. Oh, mm, uh, So how, how would they have high cholesterol then from their saturated fat that they're not even eating? Oh man. <laughs> no, <that's... laughs> we, anyway, we don't really get into it, but yeah, I, I 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. agree with
0: you. Yeah, we will we'll definitely do because this is very it's a very very important area to talk about. Um, I, I want to stay on topic just for this gotcha. conversation, but we'll definitely have you back to talk about talk about that. Um, but yeah, so so essentially, just from from that little bit there, the 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 list you read out there, I know we don't like general recommendations, and, and a lot of stuff doesn't yep. work for a lot of people. But if you are experiencing some uh, some of these symptoms like ge- uh, ge- uh, bloating and brain fog and stuff like that and energy issues. A good place usually to start isn't because it's it's relatively safe is to start eliminating some of these foods. And see if it makes a difference. Now, not all of them will because you don't know. So you, you mentioned kind of peanuts and soy and and dairy and gluten and all that kind of stuff. A step somebody might take is they might just stop eating something for a week or two and yes. see how they feel. And then I got it back in if you will know, change. And they can like if if people want to start their own little journey before they come and see someone like you or start investing money or time, where they think, oh, this sounds like too much effort. I mean, it's actually less effort to cut something out than to add something in. So you're not taking a supplement, you're rather taking something away that might be causing an issue. That that could be a good place to start. Yeah, and, and
1: I'll kind of fill you in on like a protocol that I use um, as well. But when we think about it, if someone's got a leaky gut and they're reacting to foods, and let's say they can eat only 20 foods, any, any other foods they, they have a response to, and then they eliminate from the 20 foods to 10 foods, and they've only got 10 foods, uh, eventually they're going to ha- have a reaction to them 10 foods, and now they've got them to 5 foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're... So, I'm not a big fan of using an elimination diet okay. without helping repair the, the gut and the stomach as well. Because if the gut is, has issues and it's leaky, remember what I said if you've got a leaky gut, it's breaking down that barrier. So even the good foods coming in might have a cross reaction. So there's a protocol that I use. It's called the 4R protocol. Have you heard of it before? 4R. 4R protocol.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be very familiar. Yeah, it's
1: it's quite common. You can find it online, but essentially there's different steps in it to improve good health, improve digestion, and kind of overall wellness. But the first R stands for remove. So you need to, if you're having issues, digestive issues, brain fog, mood issues, or anything like that, we need to remove the food trigger. Yeah. We need to remove the stress. Okay. So we need to find out what the, the stress is in the body or the burden is in the body. And I mentioned some of the most common food allergies, but again, emphasis on the most common. Yeah. Because dark chocolate or coffee could be an issue for you. Because again, you might have a really leaky gut go- and you're having a cross reaction to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we
1: need to find out and the best and gold standard way to find out is an elimination style diet. Take the food away if you feel a little bit better. And then you reintroduce you feel worse. That's probably a food trigger for you. Now there is fancy testing we can do as well, like um, a food allergy test, which is an IgG mediated test. That's just for anyone listening out there, and uh, it can be expensive, but it can give us a bit of insight as well. But if you have got a leaky, gut got a lot. More, uh, you know, you might have a lot of foods that will flag up because the barrier is low. Yeah, so that's the first one. And generally, you remove a food for let's say four to six weeks, and you reintroduce and see how you respond. But some foods, like you know yourself, you probably shouldn't reintroduce.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that, you're removing your daily cake, then. And you're feeling better, you probably never bring it back. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, And even if you don't feel better, probably don't bring it back.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the second or is replace. So we need to understand, okay, well, if you had digestive issues in the first place, why did that happen? Was it that your f- diet was terrible? Or was it that you were eating your food at your desk? Because, okay, as trainers, you know, we, we don't have much time to eat between clients. It's yeah. usually you're hoovering on your food in a lunchbox. But are you hoovering on your food so you're not mechanically breaking down your food? So a tip that I, I'll give Owen some props for this, he has the, the 5, 10, 15, uh, 20 rule. So when you're eating your food, well, the best thing to do is obviously eat your food in company because you're not going to hover down your food. you're talking. You're talking. Yeah, you're, talking yeah. you're in a parasympathetic state. For anyone listening, that's a rest, digest, relaxation state, a feed yeah. or breed state. Okay. You're not stressed out. So you're, good company is always a nice one to have food with.
0: Hard but, to find. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to find, yeah.
1: So five just stands for five deep belly breaths before you, you eat your food. Okay. And belly breaths. we got that vagus nerve stimulation. we got that parasympathetic state. Yeah. So, how I like to do that is put hand in the belly, into the nose, out through the mouth, everything into the belly, nothing into the chest. Yeah. Five second inhale, five second exhale.
0: And just for explaining to people as well, if you tend to be breathing into the chest, it tends to be a bit more shallow and it's activating, your almost activating your fight or flight. Oh, body, no, it is. Marriage, Not almost, it is. It's yeah. putting
1: you it more into a sympathetic fight or flight state. Yeah. So, okay. of course. Um. So, that's the five. Ten stands for you should put your knife and fork down 10 seconds between bites okay, okay. that's not always practical but again these are rough yeah, guidelines yeah, yeah yeah 15 stands for your meal should roughly be 10 to 15 minutes long okay and if if you can this is optimal again optimal versus practical is quite different but you should probably go for a 20 minute walk after your workout and we and 20 minute walk after your meal so, is it uh, uh, after, yeah, yeah. after your meal not your workout and that's just been shown to decrease post-prandial or post meal blood sugar response. Really, so yeah. getting your blood sugar back to base on after meal is always much better. So we think okay. about high blood sugar. High blood sugar is not a great thing to do when you've got any sort of immune issues or allergies like that. You want to get keep your blood sugar stable. I'm not going to say low, but you want to stable.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because obviously what most people want to do after they've eaten a meal is sit in their ass and do nothing. And yeah. But going for a walk could actually help with the blood sugar issue. That's, that's yeah,
1: very yeah. interesting, yeah. So I'll, I'll have a lot of my clients actually track the blood glucose with uh, continuous blood sugar monitors in the arm or, or finger pricks and, you'll see if they're sitting on the after a meal, The sugar just keeps creeping up and creeping up. If you do a bit of exercise, go for a walk, it to really, really really help. Oh, so yeah, that's the first or remove then we got replace and we, we gotta replace any enzymes lost like I talked about. So we talked about mechanical there essentially. And we think about chemical. So if someone's got low HCL, so HCl is essentially stomach acid. Yeah. Well there's two main nutrients N- the main nutrient not the only nutrients included or needed for stomach acid production zinc and B12. So off the top of your head, where's probably the the best B twelve source? Yeah, put me on put me on the meat. <laughs> meat, yeah. Okay, or well, uh, the
0: ground apparently if you've been watching uh, any yeah, documentaries well. <laughs> recently, but we're not gonna let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: So meat would be a really abundant source of B twelve yeah. and meat would be a great source of zinc as well. And a lot of time like you think about the population. I would say ninety percent of the people I see are zinc deficient.
0: Ninety yeah, percent, really, yeah. Very, very high. Wow.
1: Um, so a lot of the population could benefit from zinc. Okay. For sure. So zinc can help with the production of stomach acid because if you've got low stomach acid, is it a nutritional efficiency or what reason it's happening? Yeah. So sometimes it, it can be nutritional efficiency. So that that's one. Um, and then we need to look at, okay, well, the gut itself, we're going to go downstream a little bit further. Okay, pancreatic enzymes, we can take them or boil or whatnot. But we t- let's fast forward to the gut. Well, we think the, the structure of the gut is essentially protein. One of the, the, the best things we can take for our gut to repair... And I'm moving on to the third order now, which is repair, yeah. would be glutamine. Glutamine is really, really good for the enterocytes. That go, um, the enterocytes can feed off that and can repair the tight junctions. So build that wall and build that barrier better than it even was at the beginning. Yeah. So I'm not going to give broadly broad-based recommendations because it's very yeah. personal. Um, glutamine works really, really well. Um, butyrate is well. And Butyrate will be a short-chain fatty acid. People will recommend fiber for butyrate. And fiber is a whole nother story because, you know, we can talk about the essentiality for fiber. Fiber can sometimes be detrimental for some people. Where is one of the best places to get butyrate from? Fat. Butter. So butter can sometimes be good for healing the gut. So come on full circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, repair as well. We can repair the immune system and make the immune system more tolerable of the food. So vitamin D works amazingly. Vitamin A works amazingly. So um, where is a, a nice natural source of vitamin A? Because sometimes people are very skeptical. Not so much of vitamin D, but vitamin A. Just sometimes they freak out. Well, cod liver oil, which is a popular one. Yeah. It's been used for years. And also liver, organ meats. So okay, the yeah. or, organ meats work really, really well for that as well. So that's, that's the repair stage. There's other things we can use as well. Amino acids, which are, like I talked about over and over again, the building blocks of protein your gut is protein, your muscle is protein, your skin is protein, your eyes are protein, your brain is protein. Yeah. So maybe amino acids might be a good idea as yeah, well. So yeah, you can yeah. get them through IV or you can get them orally through essential amino acids, stuff like that. We do, they have blends out there. And colostrum. Okay. Colostrum is amazing for repairing the tight junctions of the gut as well and helps mediate the immune system. Yeah. So yeah. you can get colostrum. I, I recommended this to a client before he goes, I can't get the milk with the colostrum in it. So yeah, uh, colostrum is in cow milk or breast milk within, I think, the first couple of days yeah, of, of uh, birth. birth yeah. yeah, but you can also get colostrum capsules or supplements as well. Okay. With, they're, they're quite expensive, but they work really, really well for certain situations. Okay, if yeah. like there's certain supplements I recommend all year round, colostrum wouldn't be one of those. It'd be one you take acutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not okay. not because it wouldn't have benefits. It's just so, it's so expensive. It's
0: expensive, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the last door, so again, um, remove, replace, repair, and then lastly, re-inoculate. So if we've broken down the tight junctions in the gut and we haven't got a good terrain for the bacteria of a gut, we need we need to fix that. And we need to re-inoculate. So the terrain is more important than the population of the gut. How many people have you seen that are taking probiotics because they've seen it on TV or they saw it from a coach or a loads of people. But if your terrain of your gut is messed up, you're gonna throw organisms in there. It can actually take make things worse. So you need to make sure the soil is actually ready to take yeah. up any of these bacteria as well. Okay. So prebiotics, in my opinion, are much better than probiotics. Prebiotics would be food for bacteria, fiber, short-chain fatty acids like butyrate, rather than the bacteria themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we think about probiotics, there's loads of different brands out there. Generally, the most popular brands, and not the ones we should be taking, they're just the most popular on the market because they're promoted the Marketing, most. Marketing, like... Yeah. yeah. So broadly-based, soil-based, probiotics are quite good and um, then mega spore which would be a uh, spore based probiotic it's quite good there's another brand called vsl3 which is quite good as well okay and um, with vsl3 there's different spectrums of it like i think one of them's during the 100 billion one is I like 100 billion then there's a 600 billion then there's a prescription only 900 billion one. wow so it depends on the individual as well okay. that's kind of the four order how we, how i would like to I generally take things with my clients.
0: Yeah, yeah. I absolutely, I'm, I'm gonna really go with this one. I absolutely love that approach. So what I've seen, you, you've given a really, really good explanation of the the because um, most people jump to supplements straight away. You've, yeah. you've given a really good explanation of the the timeline you should follow if you're experiencing. And I think to be honest with you, most people should should do something like what you just suggested there anyway because most people have some sort of symptoms and low energy and, and brain fog. But I think someone the classic story is someone starts to experience bloating. The first thing they want to know is what can I take to make this bloating go away? Yeah. So they go to the doctor. The doctor might start giving proton pump inhibitors and stuff like yeah, that, which is or, essentially or what? antacids, or lower which, stomach acid, which is lower stomach acid, which, yeah. which sometimes
1: we're actually trying to increase stomach acid.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um. So so they're they're taking a pill and it might not help. So then they try and take a probiotic, probiotic and they're spending loads and loads of money that could actually be making making things worse as well. Yeah. Um, then they get very very um, disillusioned with the whole thing. And they're picking, and th- then they hit the next big best thing on the radio, and they do that, and then they hit the next best thing, and they do that, and then they go to the next talk, and they do that. But you've given a really, really, and I know it's not for everybody, but you've given a real good outline of the general journey you should follow if you think you're experiencing some good issues here. Um, and it starts off conservatively, take away some stuff you might you might think is, is causing issues, and then you get a little bit deeper. You start replacing things, and you start playing around with your. Like I love the idea of this. You, I don't know if you use a different name there, but the mindful eating. What was it? The 5, 10, 15, 20 there. Yeah. And taking your time. And looking looking at the effect of the environment on your body and how you're eating your food and when you're eating it and the, the 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 environment you're in, rather than just I I think it's this food that's causing issues for me. And then you can start to look at kind of the high level supplementation. And then you can start looking at things like um, uh, probiotics and things like that. Yeah,
1: but a lot of time let's just... you probably
0: never even get to the final step. Most people. Yeah, though.
1: like a lot of time when we're in the re- let's say remove, replace, and repair stage, I'm sometimes like vitamin D yeah. is a repair nutrient. B vitamins can be. Yeah. Taking out whey protein, adding amino acids, and kind you of repair. So, some and like when we think about amino acids, they're not just good for the good they're yeah. more for everything. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. some of them are more broadly based, but like obviously, colostrum would be a bit more specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I, I, we talk about vitamin D and vitamin A, and we talk about zinc and stuff like
0: that. Why are we so deficient in, 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 in those vitamins? Is it the quality of the food, or is it the type of food that we're eating? That's okay, well, not so much the well, quality. When we
1: think about vitamin D, because I'm a big fan of vitamin D, uh, it's actually when we think about it, it's not a vitamin. It's actually a pro hormone. It was misnamed the vitamin okay. when it was discovered. Okay. So uh, I heard a, a vitamin D doctor researcher talk about this, and he says, well, essentially, we're living living in modern caves at the moment. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. we're isolating ourselves. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, yeah. and then when we go out in the sun, well, okay. In, in Ireland we, in Ireland, we don't <laughs> go out in the sun. How many months of sunlight do we get in Ireland? Not very really much. And when we do, we're putting the factor 50 on, and then we're, we're not absorbing it again. So just like water. Just like protein, just like fats, is essential.
0: Just a disclaimer there, guys. Wear your sun cream.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Don't get burned. Yeah, but just like water, protein, and fats are essential. Yeah. So is vitamin D. And if I take away water from you for the next couple of weeks, <laughs> your health is going to decline. Oh, yeah. If I take away vitamin D from you, your health is also going to decline. Yeah. So, for anyone out there that you know that is working with um, a functional medicine doctor or your GP, it's always a safe bet to go in and get your vitamin D levels tested. Because I would never recommend someone take vitamin D without getting their levels checked either.
0: In general, as far as I understand, most doctors, and again, this is not a a conversation about doctors or anything like that, but they don't actually test for a lot of these vitamins and and minerals and and things like that today, unless you specifically request it. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so that should really be part of a general health screening. If we're talking about the power of food and health, step one should be what's the nutritional profile?
1: I am seeing more of that, and I'm seeing more of my clients' sons or daughters when they're getting... Tests on the doctors will just do that okay. on the younger population, so it is happening, but that's it's just good. it's happening at a slow rate. Yeah, yeah. But if like you do request it, a lot of doctors are happy to just test your vitamin D and check it. Because okay. Live in Ireland again, you like personally speaking, I have never seen someone with an adequate vitamin D level that that let's say wasn't taking it. Really? really yeah. Yeah. Okay. So even clients that are taking it sometimes are low. Yeah. So and then in
0: terms one. of in terms of supplements, um, I'll ask you about whey protein in a sec, but in terms of supplements. I know a, a, a huge problem. A lot of supplements are their bioavailability, or are they actually being absorbed? Or yeah. Is it the right? Are they the right ratios? How How do you know that what you're taking is effective? Or like a, a lot of people, when it comes to a serious health issue, and they want to if they've really distressing, good issues, and they want to take this expensive probiotic, for example, they're going to go for the most expensive one because yeah. they assume it's the best one, most expensive doesn't always equal best, but in most people's minds, okay, it's really expensive. It has to be very, very good. It's probably really well tested and well regulated and all that kind of stuff. How do you know? Well, like, what, How do you know the stuff you're using is working? I'm not going to ask you for specific recommendations of brands or anything like that, but are, are there things to stay away from? Are there, are there, is there homework you can do before you go looking at, at, or, or do you need to come and speak to someone like yourself or your doctor to, before you go into one of the health stores and, and buy something off the shelf like a vitamin D yeah, capsule? Yeah, that,
1: that's a difficult one. So when we think about, okay, where do I start with this one? So, you should always get guidance on that if you're if you're looking to take a supplement. Well, why are you taking that supplement? Yeah. Okay. Um. And then, you usually you're taking a supplement because you want to change a symptom. Yeah. So if the symptom is energy, well, how can you gauge that? So let's say, for instance, vitamin B twelve, which is a very common one that people would take. Well, at least we can go to our doctor and look at a level, and when we take that supplement, we can see said level, either increase or decrease, so we're gauging it. Okay. So that's that's how I like to do things, but I can see something on pen to paper where a level is going.
0: So it's more not, don't take vitamin B for your energy levels, take vitamin B because your, or B12, because your B12 test has shown your levels No, No, no,
1: Uh, no. Symptoms, always over levels. Okay. If a person's feeling like crap and their levels look in the middle of the range, well, maybe they need to be above the range because the the reference ranges are... Are based on a population that are nil yeah. population. I suppose,
0: I suppose more what I was getting at there, maybe I just, didn't, I just didn't say that properly. Was there could be fifty other reasons why your energy is low. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so of course. don't just take vitamin yeah. B twelve because your energy is low. Yeah, like get your testing done. One hundred. Get an idea where you are, and then if your energy is still low and nothing else is putting yeah, it, towards that, it, it, if then your levels B12. are
1: optimal, maybe it's not the yeah, B twelve. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe it's something else. But yeah. when we talk about any sort of supplement, we need to, we need to be looking at, okay, the form, the dose, and the frequency. Because okay. a lot of time, I'll have people say, oh, come into me and I go, okay, you take any nutrients or multivitamin or anything like that. Yeah, I'm taking a fish oil. Okay, how much are you taking? And they'll tell me, okay, I'm taking one capsule or I'm taking vitamin D. How much vitamin D are you taking? I'm taking 400 I use uh, once a day and I sometimes I missed, I'm i not taking it. It doesn't do much for me. Well, is it that the vitamin D is not working or is it the dose is n- not therapeutic?
0: Yeah.
1: And maybe the dose is therapeutic, but you're not taking it frequently enough.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So that's why it's good to have kind of professional that look at it and go, okay, well... You know, I might as well be tickling you. Your dose isn't anywhere near where you need to be. Yeah, and then so again, dose, form, frequency. Okay,
0: and test to know where you Yeah, and,
1: and and some sort of assessment. So we're, what is your issue, and are you seeing issue resolution?
0: Okay, okay. Um, you mentioned something there about because I know I'm going to get blasted with this question if I don't ask it to you. Okay. Um, uh, whey protein. Probably one of the most popular supplements yeah. in the world, and I know there's varying qualities and quantities and types and blends and mixes and all of that course, kind of yeah. stuff. You're not a big fan of whey protein,
1: no? Okay, I'm, I'm not, and I have been in the past, but actually, for me, I, um, I would have definitely had a reaction to whey protein, I would have hypoglycemia, which is lower blood sugar, I would have blood sugar reactions, but I also would have got um trunk acne, so around the chest and oh, the back, yeah. and that's which, which very, is very, very common. Very common. So, if you anyone wants to Google it out there whey protein, uh, association with trunk acne. Yeah. There's a very, very strong correlation there. Okay. So we think about why that is. Again, like I talked about, there's no protein in nature without fat. Yeah. And we've done that with protein. So, yeah. um Any protein brands, I'm not a big fan of just protein in isolation. So we think about even beef protein, collagen protein. Uh, collagen protein is a bit more tolerable, but whey protein, not so much. Okay. And so I'm a much bigger fan of amino acids. Yeah. Um, as a blend. So... We talk about essential amino acids. Essential amino acids are, essentially, we don't make them. they were for me to consume them. So okay. there's a lot of uh, brands out there. And there's eight essential amino acids. So when you're buying a brand, you want to make sure they've got the essential eight.
0: Okay, okay. So it's essential amino acids are different than branch chain amino acids of as well. well branch can't... chain seems to be the one that people go for straight away. when they're. Yeah.
1: they're so I want to make this clear. With essential amino acids, you cannot have an immune response to amino acid because it's already broken down. Okay. It's already digested. So if you've got someone that's got, and we're, you know, this whole podcast is talking about digestion, not we're not talking about bodybuilding or muscle building, but yeah. you talk about digestion, amino acids are uh, ideal because we don't have an immune response. We don't have to break them down.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, And then
1: yeah, yeah. we're repairing the go. They're being absorbed through the epithelial, or the wall or the barrier, and they go straight away.
0: So you're essentially getting the most refined version of what it is you're paying for without having to go through the process of getting your body to do the work to break it down and potentially having reactions and oh, potentially having absorption so I'm issues. Big fan.
1: They're not just for bodybuilders or people that are lifting weights. They're actually for, for people that are looking to improve health or yeah. even set entry populations. We talk about BCAAs. BCA's are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. There's three of them. They are three of the essential eight.
0: Okay, so if you're taking the eight, you're getting the three.
1: Yes, you need to take says
0: Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And just to put context in this as well, like obviously we've talked a lot about general population and stuff, but you deal with some very, very high-level athletes yep. as well who have much higher protein requirements, so you're well-versed in, like some people out there listening to this kind of stuff and go, yeah, but I'm training twice a week, I need more whey protein. No. <laughs> like There's can, other things we can do there, There, yeah. there are other things we can do, and, and uh, like, as I said, you deal with elite athletes and you can still manage their protein requirements. These guys could be training every day, twice a day, four hours a day, whatever it might be. You can manage that. Mostly with nutrition and then if they need supplementation you still don't need to go get okay, uh, with protein. And
1: if we are going on that avenue okay well okay they're a pro- professional athlete they're looking to recover they're looking to have less stress and burden on the body and they're then they're taking in a food supplement that's causing a burden on their body because they're having a reaction to it. Yeah yeah that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. So that's a potential stress yeah. on their body that is you know inhibiting their ability to recover. Okay, I get you, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, then that's a factor that people don't consider. They go, oh, I just got to get my protein tag.
0: Yeah, yeah. And do you reckon, just, just another general question here, most guys who are playing sport or training to to an average, they're not professional athletes, they're, they're, they're your average athlete. Yeah. So they might be in the gym four or five times a week or they might be playing football or they might be tennis players, whatever. Do you reckon most of these guys can get the requirements, I know it's a general question, but through nutrition? Hell no. No, okay. I,
1: the general population can't get the nutritional needs from just whole foods. Okay. 100%. The reason why it's not, maybe that's not a popular opinion. It's an interesting one, yeah. Is because people aren't testing sufficiently. Okay. But if you wanted to go out and test sufficiently, you you would quickly find out people are much more nutrient deficient than they make out.
0: Well, I think, and again, correct me here, but I think a lot of the recommendations or the feedback we hear from government bodies and health boards, uh, in terms of our, so f- take, take for example the Irish population. You said that would be the, what you've just said there would be quite an unpopular opinion, but yep. most people would say that based off such and such report or such and such health board or whatever like that, most people in Ireland are not deficient in protein, for example. But they base that off epidemiological studies, daily recommended allowances, the amount of people in the country, small yeah, what, sample sizes. What's
1: a daily recommended allowance mean? Uh, nothing, absolutely. But, no- but it's the allowance to prevent to well, stop you from symptoms <laughs> of like yeah, it's maintenance, know. like it's yeah, keeping like, you alive. The d- disease state or, you know, yeah. let's say, beriberi or night blindness or all this yeah, sort of stuff. exactly, so, like, yeah. you really have really bad symptoms. That's deficiency symptoms. I don't, like, yes, there's a deficiency, but remember I talked about the spectrum. There's deficiency, insufficiency, and then there's, you know, optimal levels, and then there's, okay, there's toxic ranges. Yeah. But, like, that's deficient. But the majority of people I see are either in the deficient or insufficient ranges where their quality of life is just overall poor because... Insufficiencies.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I I like to describe it this way. Sometimes, if you imagine your your close group of friends, right? Yeah. Say you have five or ten people in that close group of friends, every single one of those person has a different requirement when it comes to 100%. when it comes to everything. But food specifically,
1: yeah, biochemical individuality.
0: Everybody. So yeah. if you take your 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 RDAs or whatever your your general recommendations and you apply that to every single one of those people, the chances are it's going to miss the mark with every single one of them. For. Ten different reasons for yeah. five or ten different reasons. So there's no way that because a, a, a lot of pushback. Now I again, I'm not I'm not in your field, right I thought I'm in I'm kind of a I'm passing on information here. I'm not interviewing guys like you, but a lot of pushback you get when you hear conversations like this specifically is that well, this such and such a board or such and such a a study set showed that we're we're fine, like we're not deficient. And what are you talking about? And you're just trying to push products and you're just trying to push agendas and stuff like that. Uh, no, every time you have conversations with the the person on the street or your friend or your family or your sister or your brother, whatever it is, everyone has some sort of symptom of something. So there definitely is some sort of, well, I mean, medicine is great. How, how are you testing, essentially, how are you, to well, assess that? There, there, no one's testing. This is the point. There's no but, testing yeah, done. It's, if, it's it,
1: general studies exactly, on so small sample sizes. People don't think they're deficient because yeah. they're not testing for it. And if you don't test for it, you'll never know. You never know. You can, you can guess. I don't feel great. But yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But you, you could have too much of something in your system as well. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, one thing we haven't really touched on here is sugar. So okay, yeah. sugar and the gut, because again, another popular story nowadays is you've got two types of bacteria in your in your gut, and one likes sugar and one doesn't. If you feed the sugar one, you've too much of that bacteria. Okay, that's, yeah. that's kind of the simplified story that you hear nowadays. Where where's your stance on sugar?
1: On sugar or refined sugar? So yeah, yeah there's a lot of people there out there that are sugar phobic. Now I'm not a promoter of sugar by any means, but we think about well, sugar or table sugar, it's essentially sucrose, yeah, with, and which is fructose, which is fruit sugar and glucose. And glucose essentially is can can be used as our body's form of energy and broken down to ATP, which is our currency of energy. So we talk about sugar. Am I like there's no nutritional necessity for it? But when we eat carbohydrates are starch, we're going to break down starch into, into glucose anyway. So it's going to pretty much resemble the table sugar that's gone in. But again, for, for the uh, vast majority of people, we're not going to do well on high carbohydrate consumption, and it's not because of the if it's like if it's oats or rice, or brown rice, or whatever. It could be the healthiest carb ever. But essentially, it's being broken into glucose in the yeah. body. Yeah. If we've got too much glucose, and we're in, a let's say, a caloric, caloric surplus, and we're living sedentary lifestyles, that's going to have issues in our body. And you think about, okay, this is another tangent, yeah, high blood sugar levels. High blood sugar levels can wreak havoc on our body. And that's that's almost like the canary in the coal mine. No one's really looking at sugars. And when they are, the biggest um, test that people will look at on their sugars is their fasting sugars and I'm, I'm kind of being fictitious here, but like, okay, when do people look at their fasting sugars? After a 12 hour fast, when it should look the best? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's checking their sugars 60 minutes to 90 minutes after their roast Krispies in the morning? Yeah. So and people are very um, resistant or intolerant to sugars because they're, they're not lifting weights, they're highly stressed, they're eating way too much carbohydrates, and in my opinion, carbohydrates is a non-essential macronutrient for health, for performance, there might be a necessity for it. Okay. But well, people are eating way too much. Yeah. High blood sugar levels, high insulin levels. Insulin is definitely the hormone of aging. And um, insulin lowers blood glucose, but um, high insulin levels correlate very strongly with increased risk of cardiovascular disease, mortality, cholesterol issues, all that sort of stuff. So is it that we got high cholesterol, or is that we got high sugars and cholesterol as a band aid? So there's a lot of that's yeah. a rabbit hole. There.
0: It is a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's kind of it's kind of inspired this recent spate of people on ketogenic diets and intermittent fasting and stuff like yeah. that. Essentially, it's all a quest to regulate your blood sugar and stop that insulin spike and, and, and pr- promote longevity. But I like the way you put that there, that carbohydrates are not a, an essential nutrient for health, but performance is a different issue there. So depending yeah. on the your required task of the day or of the month or of the year, whatever it is, whatever it is you do, you build your diet around that. Yeah, so we carb- don't all just need to eat carbs because the carbs like.
1: Yeah, carbohydrates are dependent on your age, sex, genetics, lifestyle body composition and there's even more factors you can talk about. No one talks about that. They go, Oh, I have got to fit them into my macros. Okay. So if if your parents are both two two diabetics and overweight, good luck. You know, you get where do you get your genes from? Your parents. Yeah. So genetically you might just have you might just have a, a bad decade or a, a bad hand and you might genetically be more susceptible to obesity, to insulin resistance, to fatty liver and to high sugar levels. And guess what? There's nothing really we can do about that except, okay, improve your quality of health exercise and go on a lower-carb diet. I can't change your genes, but I can change your environment. So just because your parents have the genes to develop diabetes doesn't mean you will if you have a healthier lifestyle. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can't adapt and modify Yeah. Yeah. Um, why is it addictive? Why are we so addictive? Oh why is God. it so hard to stop eating carbs? Oh, my
1: God. That <laughs> <laughs> that's another rabbit hole. So <laughs> when, we th- when we think about that, well, we, food is made to be hyper palatable. When's the last time you've overeaten on steak? You've overeaten on broccoli. You can't because your body has. So, you mean
0: uh, produced food? Oh, yeah, yeah. Non natural food. Yeah,
1: non natural food and um, food that has sugar and fat and salt. That that combination there is usually the the, kind of the combination that makes food hyper palatable. And fat and carbohydrate together can sometimes be a, a bad combination. Okay. But, um, am I going off topic there? Is that no, no. Sense? It's just.
0: A qu- I mean, the question was why, why is it so addictive? Because I know, I, I know most people. The carb thing has been around for a long time. Yeah. Most people have, have associated carbs generally with weight gain. But yeah, but well, name me a food that's addictive that was made in nature. Well, I'd say steak. You <laughs> <steak? laughs> know, know what you mean? Yeah. yeah. But we,
1: okay, we get a high source of amino acids. We can make make a bit of sugar. There is a bit of sugar in steak. And there's fats. and yeah. it's on the right ratio. But like, name someone that got obese because they ate steak. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Well, it's, it's not that you can't, but
0: yeah, yeah, but I yeah. haven't seen it done. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, I suppose the, the the familiar feeling is, and I mean, it's a battle every day for 100%. most people. If there's something in the house and you know it's there, and it's sugary or it's, it's biscuits or it's sweets or whatever it is, or it's a piece of cake or something like that, it's a physical draw for yeah, your brain. Yeah. If you if you're 100%. used to eating carbs, you you it's a craving. It's a, it, like your brain is telling you, oh, "I want to eat that now." Is that the is that the brain wanting the easiest energy source possible to keep it fueled? Is it a, is it is it a link with the gut? Is it the bacteria? Because this is what yeah, I've some, heard.
1: Sometimes, actually, yeah. If you've got a uh, dysbiosis, yeah, your body can crave sugars because that's the fuel for some, like let's say, candida or yeast. Over this or is what I've heard. If you're
0: deficient in in other areas or have a dysbiosis or an imbalance or something, your body just wants that energy. And yeah,
1: or what if you, your energy is terrible and your <laughs> any nutrients that are associated with energy production or mitochondrial production. Or low your body's going to just say, just give please give me sugar, yeah. give me a bit of energy, yeah,
0: yeah, do yeah. something ready, available energy right now, please, yeah. And um, how do you handle that with your clients then? With the because that is probably the main barrier I would see to most for most people to altering their diet or cut no carbs, it's, it's addictive and. The more they try and stay away from it, the more they crave it. They get to day five and day six, and then they have to have something. Do you have uh, any techniques or advice for people who who are going to start the first or and they're going to remove something, but it's such a big a big task for them to remove those carbs yeah. or those sugars?
1: So what I would, would talk about is okay when we, if it if it walked, flew, swim, or or grew, at some point in time, it's probably a healthier food to eat. Okay, I've never seen Rice Krispies go from a tree <laughs> or a Mars Bar growing, growing from the ground. Yeah, so. That's a general. you have tried ketamine, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, not yet. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's a general recommendation. Okay. Now, from there, when I'm kind of setting up someone's diet, protein, fats, and fiber are probably the most satiating macronutrients. Okay. So we think about hormones that increase satiety. We would leptin, yeah, which is a satiety hormone, ghrelin, which we a hunger hormone. Well, fats and protein really help increase leptin levels. So if I want to have someone that wants to lose weight, and let's say drop body fat. The best diet for them is the one they can maintain. So if I put like ketogenic diet, it's quite a strict diet. So I, I, they're good, but it's hard to get compliance a lot of time. Yeah. So the best diet is the one you can actually do. So I'll add, definitely increase the protein intake. Now, I would definitely go over the gram of protein per kilo of body weight. Definitely. That's just a minimum because I don't deal with a symmetry population. I deal with people that are actually working out and training as well. Yeah. But um, I definitely would increase the protein levels. Protein again is essential. We need it for our immune system. We need it for our neurotransmitters. Fifty percent of hormones, um, for, and much much more. Okay. And fats. So when we look at f- fats again. Fifty percent of hormones are made from fats. One of the, one of our main fat burning hormones, testosterone and estrogen, are made from fats. If we're on a low fat diet, we're on a low hormone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, we want we want to increase that as well. And we look at and people say, oh no, your diet won't impact your hormones. Yeah. Well, do me a favor, have a a bottle of rice krispies to check your insulin levels. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. You can't you, you can't dispute that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point so, so rather than trying to trying to hammer the discipline thing and hammer the you need to stop this now it's good for your health. Okay. You, you you look at ways of designing their diets is going to it's physically more and biochemically sustainable. and sustainable yeah and it's also going to internally help them feel a little bit better yes. so they feel a little bit better they feel a bit more satiated they feel a little bit healthier they're less likely to have the cravings for 100%. the things that they want
1: 100% and brain chemicals neurotransmitters yeah. are made from proteins and amino acids yeah. so if I'm giving them a, a good boost of high quality protein and amino acids I'm setting their neur- neurotransmitters up for the next 24 hours we talk about like let's say I talk about motivation the myth of motivation yeah Motivation is like, um, I like to use the analogy of your phone's battery life. Mm. As you go through the day, and you, the more you're using your motivation or your phone battery, the more it drains. Yeah. So if me and you, Dan, uh, we're chatting right now, and we had a scone in front of us right now. And we're chatting, and...
0: Wouldn't last three seconds, then.
1: Okay, well, I'm not a big fan of scone. It was chocolate, now it would be a different story. But I'd look at it and go, no, don't want that. Yeah. But the fact that it's on the table, we would continue talking, and we might look at it again and go, no. But the more we look at it, the more appealing it gets to us. Yeah. Because we might look at about five times and go on the fifth time. Ah, you know, I'll just have a bite. Yeah. So uh, motivation is definitely a myth. However, if if the food is in the house, the more times you're you're in an environment to break, the more likely it's going to be. Okay. So you can't control what's going on in your job, in the cafeteria, but you can definitely control the food in your house. So get rid of the crap. Because the more scenarios you run into, a chance that you could potentially break your diet, the more likely it is of happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Look, man, we, we've covered loads. Yeah, we yeah, started
1: yeah. on the go. We got into
0: digestion. It was, it was brilliant, though. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to come back on in the future. Yeah, I'm going to send out a questionnaire or or some sort of post to the, to the listeners. Um, to, to try and identify what area they want to talk about. Well, hopefully next. they
1: can translate this. You know, it was brilliant, it was brilliant,
0: because we, we, we did go into a lot of different areas there, very, very educational, but we definitely need to have you back on to kind yeah. of, we'll, we'll clarify a few more areas and stuff like that as well. Um, you you obviously see clients at the moment. Yeah. Um, so if somebody wants to come and see you, where could they find you? Or if they want to talk to you about what stuff that we spoke about today, if they, if they want to get in contact and get a bit more information about what it is that you do, or if you could help them, what, what where can they go?
1: Yeah, so the best way to contact me directly would actually be on my social media, so my Instagram account, which is Robbie or a B-B-I-E underscore health underscore focus. And you can just contact me directly there. I work with a company called the Irish Strength Institute and in Malahide. So there's at ISI Health on Instagram or the Irish Strength Institute website. You can find out more. But the fastest way to contact me is definitely my Instagram. Um, I also have a podcast as well, similar to yourself. It's brilliant. Tune in if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Which will be the health focus podcast. Yeah, yet available on Spotify, iTunes, and even YouTube as well. Yeah. That's-
0: yeah, and I will just to reinforce that point as well. Like guys like Robbie, you have such such good information. But not only is a good information, it's important for people to start to listen and educate themselves in this kind of stuff because it's it's not it is readily available from sources like yourself. But for every one guy like you, there's twenty other yeah. spin doctors. myths, uh, do this and in ten days you lose ten pounds. There's, there's all sorts of crazy stuff out there, especially when it comes to good health and mood and motivation and stuff like that. So it really, really is important. A podcast like yours, specifically, there's really good, actionable, hard and fast information there. Don't be intimidated if you think things are scientific. Like I, I, I had to learn about all this kind of stuff. Everyone yeah. has to learn about this stuff, and you start, you start to really get involved. Well, in knowledge your own is power.
1: You have to educate yourself because you got to prioritize your own health.
0: It is your health at the end of the day. Yeah. It is your health, and you have, you have to take it as the most important thing in the world because, at the bottom, bottom line, it is. Yeah. Robbie really appreciate you coming in. Thanks for that. It was a, it was a great chat, and we're definitely and I'm going to lock Good. you in now for, for chat number two in the next couple of months. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Talk to you soon. You're probably thinking, don't say it, Dan. Don't do it. But I'm going to do it anyway. That one was a real gut buster. If you want to have a chat with Robbie or the team here at Primal, or if you have any questions, you can just head over to www.primal.ie forward slash Robbie Bennett for all the links, the show notes, and the contact details. And if you enjoyed the show and you want to hear more, Then you can follow us at PrimalPro, P-R-Y-M-A-L-P-R-O, on Instagram and Facebook. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can see how almost everyone would benefit from knowledge like this, so please do pass the podcast along to friends and family. And if you enjoyed it, why not give us an L5-star rating? We'd
1: really appreciate it. Chat soon, guys.